want to invite you uh, to turn with me to the book of 1 John. For the sake of our guests, we are in a series entitled Genuine Christianity. Uh, the reason that we entitled the series that is because this is precisely what John is after in our lives as we look to submit our hearts regularly to Christ. It will be a genuine example of who he is. Now, we all know that we fail in various ways, right? God isn't looking for perfection in us. He is looking for our hearts. And the things that we do, they, they certainly matter. Um, but what John is writing to us is that we might be certain of what we know and be certain of what we believe and therefore be strengthened in it. I'm going to be reading this morning from chapter 2, starting at verses 18 through 27. We're talking about Antichrist. We're talking about a number of things here this morning. So buckle up and let's ask God's help before we read it, just that he might help us to, to understand this. Lord, thank you for your word that governs our lives. Lord, thank you that your word is given that we might have truth and that we might be certain of that truth. Lord, thank you that your word is not ambivalent or ambiguous. It helps us to understand truth from error. And so as we look into your word now, as your people this morning, it's our joy to do this, God, by the way. It's our joy to look into your word because in your word is life. And, and we pray that in this passage, which is a little challenging at times to fully understand, help us to understand it. And help us not just to understand it, but then to apply it so that our lives might reflect your son. That our lives might reflect your character. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So you've given us your word that you might help us. So help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading again from 1 John 2. 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many, many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they have been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. 
But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught you, abide in him. Amen. Last week we were in the previous three verses where God, through his great and fatherly wisdom, enabled John to record this proscription for us. Do not love the world. We talked about that. And and just to recap, why is loving the world so wrong? Why does he use an imperative to communicate to us, do not love the world? Well, it's, it's this reason. Because loving the world is opposed to loving God. The two are dichotomous. They do not merge together. They are apart from one another. And the world, you know what the effect of the world has on our hearts? It diminishes the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what worldliness does. It takes what God has created and given to us and it puts it in a place that it should never be and it diminishes the glory of Christ. Even for Christians. If we give way to worldliness, that worldliness creeps into our hearts and it helps us to not seek and savor Jesus Christ in the way that he should be because of who he is. But it makes, it dilutes Christ and it replaces Christ and it sets Christ in some other place other than first and central place of our hearts. So God, out of great love for us, like the perfect father, I used the illustration with the youth on Tuesday night as we were, actually we did care group at, at youth group on Tuesday night. We said, look, we're just going to apply the message here. This is what care group is about for adults. This is what care group is about for us. We're going to apply the message. And I use the illustration. If you lived on, if your house lived on, on 309, if that's where your house was, would your father um, as he sees you playing with a soccer ball, and sometimes that ball goes this way and that way, would your father be unloving to say, do not play on 309? No, your father would say that because he loves you. He wouldn't want you to get squashed like a bug. And so in the same way, God says out of love for us, do not love the world. And then we pick it up this morning with this sober reminder. There are, there are three things I believe John is communicating here. The first is this. The message of Christ is being opposed. Look at verses 18 and 19. 18 in particular. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists has come. The message of Christ is being opposed. It is being actively opposed. And John says here, it is the last hour. And yet this was written nearly 2,000 years ago. And so if you've got a watch, you're like, John, what are you talking about? Well, what what is the biblical writers, what do they mean when they're talking about the last hour? Because he's not the only one that says this. Or the last days. Uh, The last days in Scripture began when Jesus came to the earth. Nobody but the Father knows how long the last days will last or will be, but we do know some things about the last days. We know that uh, this promise in Acts 2 reigns true, that God will pour out His Spirit in the last days upon His people. God has spoken to us, Hebrews tells us, by 
His Son in the last days. So you and I are living in the last days. And in the last days, John says here this morning, in the last days will arise many Antichrists. What is the spirit of the Antichrist? Or what is the spirit of the Antichrist, plural? He answers that question for us in verse 22. Look there, with, would you? <clears throat> he says this, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So those who would deny the deity of the Son of Christ, those are the Antichrist. And as you, we are in the last hour, the last days, those are going to continue to rise. There will be many Antichrists. So John, when he's talking about the last hour, he's talking about a theological reality. Uh, He's not making a chronological statement. He's talking about a theological reality. These are the conditions under which the last days will be. That there will be many antichrists, many who oppose Jesus Christ will rise up. Clearly, again, the Father only knows how long these days will last. Jesus himself. I want to quote Jesus for what he said. He said this in Matthew 24. For false Christ's and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, I like that clause, if possible, even the elect. Jesus is saying, understand this, in the last days, false Christ, false teachers, false prophets, they will abound. They will try to pull you away from the reality of Christ. And so John is saying, just after he said, hey, don't love the world because the world is opposed to Christ and the the world will suffocate your love for Jesus Christ. He says, by the way, just a reminder, we are in the last days. Antichrists have arisen. They are around and they are denying Christ. Now, again, context is so critical here. What's happening in this dear church what, it, what has been going on is, is that for a while there were false teachers that arose within the church and they were denying that Jesus Christ was actually the Son of God. They were saying, hey, Jesus Christ is a good guy. He taught the way of love. He taught, he taught us to, to care for one another, but he is not Jesus, the Son of God. And they were denying the deity of Christ. And you might think, well, Okay, that's bad, but what's so bad about that? Well, if you deny the deity of Christ, you remove the effects of the cross. Justification is at stake when you deny the reality of the deity of Christ, that Jesus Christ is God's Son. And so they were sweeping the gospel out. They were, they were saying, hey, we've got a new gospel. It doesn't include Jesus Christ as God's Son. It just includes Jesus Christ as a good guy. But he's not God's son. And, and so John is saying, look, here's the reality of what you're walking in, dear church. Antichrists have come. This is the last hour. The last days are upon us. And so we have to be realizing that as we walk in this world. I know I don't need to remind you that this morning. We look all around and we see people who even want to embrace Jesus. You know, there's, there's this sense that, hey, Jesus was a good dude. He, he loved people. 
And, you know, you talk to people. Some people hate Christ. Don't, don't get me wrong. But some will say, yeah, Jesus was good. You know, he was kind of like Muhammad. He was, he was like, you know, a, a number of, you know, peace-loving people who have been on the, wor- in the, on the earth. And, and yet they deny the reality of the deity of Christ. And when someone denies the reality of the deity of Christ... They are knocking the legs out of the gospel. Let's be clear about that. So we're living in the last days because false teachers, false teachers will want to arise and lead people away. Yesterday morning, I was privileged to go to Lighty's Church and sit in on an ordination process for one of their pastors. They, they invited me because of our relationship with them. And so I walked in the room and I saw another pastor from another church whom I know really well. And he said, Jeremy, it's so good to see you. And I said, likewise. And then he said, you know, every time I see you, I think of Rob Bell. And I said, wow, what have I ever done to you? Do you know who Rob Bell is? He is a teacher of heresy. He was a solid pastor who one day decided to rewrite the Bible in his own way. He's influenced guys like Aaron Rodgers who grew up in a Christian church and who now wants nothing to do with the Christian faith. And I said, so what did I ever do to you that I would remind you of Rob Bell? And he said, well, it's just your name. And I said, okay, fair enough. The fact is, there are false teachers all around us. They want to take us away from the truth. Now, what does John say to us? And what does John say to his dear people that he's writing to? Um, Here's what he says to encourage them in the midst of the opposition. Look at verse 21. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. So he's saying, look, there are all these antichrists, all these false teachers that are arising. And yet here's the reality. You in Christ, brother, sister, you have the truth. You know the truth. You can stand on that truth. In the midst of the opposition of the world around us, you have the truth. So he's he's simply saying, dear brother, sister, stand in it. Stand in it. Stand there like like a rock that withstands the waves. If you've been to the shore, if you you can imagine a rugged, rocky uh, coastline where where a rock may jut out there and, and just stands and takes the battering of the waves, that's what he's saying. Stand in this truth. You know the truth. You don't have to be looking all around. You don't have to look to the Book of Mormon. You don't have to look to any additional Gospels because they're not Gospels at all. You look and you stand in the truth. He says, I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know the truth. I want to encourage you to stand because there is opposition all around. With this in mind, then, I believe he makes another great declaration over them. Look at verse 20. Here's what he says. You have been anointed by the Holy One. So let me say, again, John is writing to encourage them, to strengthen them, to say, look, you have the truth, stand in it. He says, you have been anointed with the Holy One. Let's look at verse 20. 
But you, in the midst of all this stuff going on, you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. Now, what, what does he mean by the Holy One? Why is he not clear? Well, often in Scripture, when any time there's this word anointing used, it typically most often refers to the work of the Holy Spirit. So John, I believe, is telling them that they have been anointed by none other than the Holy Spirit of God. They've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. He has come upon them. They have understood truth. They have been regenerated. They have been anointed by God. Now let me just bring this into our living room. Like, if you know Christ, do you know what John is saying to you this morning? That you have been anointed by God. That you have been touched by the Holy Spirit. Now, I've met a few important people in my life, not very many, a few. Um, But to say that I've been touched, I've been anointed by the Holy Spirit of God, that is the the greatest privilege I can think of. And that's what he's saying. You, You aren't alone in this fight. You've been anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. And that Holy Spirit has given you great truth. Being anointed by the Holy One means we have knowledge. Why is John focusing on that word knowledge? He uses it a couple of times. Because the Greeks and others, some of these heretics in fact, were saying, hey, you need, you need special knowledge in order to uh, reach the heavens. You need special knowledge to know that Jesus actually isn't the Son of God, but there's a special way of knowing that is transferred to you. And so they're all about knowledge. John is saying, you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit of God and you all have knowledge. And we see that the Holy Spirit, when we are regenerated by Him, He indwells every Christian and He is here for a purpose. So let me ask you, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. If you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit, regenerated in the Holy Spirit, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Well, Jesus says it very clearly. One of the things that the Holy Spirit is given to do is to guide us into all truth. Let me quote Jesus again. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Now, that guiding is very important here. Because what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and wants to do in my life is to shine that spotlight on Christ and not move to the right and to the left. See, the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us will never lead us away from Christ. The Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us will never put the focus on other things other than the beauty and the glory and the grandeur of Christ. So if you're wondering, hey, is this the Holy Spirit? Well, does it, does it magnify the worth of Christ? Then yes, that is the Holy Spirit. If it detracts from Christ, then that is not the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. And we need that truth, do we not, dear friends? I need that truth as so many things are coming at me. So many things are coming at you that are not truth. We need the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 27. This is beautiful. 
Here's the confidence that we have. Verse 27, it kind of expands what he talks about earlier. He says, but the anointing that you receive from him, what does it do? It abides in you. It takes up residence. It's that anointing that we've received. It it resides in us. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. So it looks like I should stop the sermon right now because it just said, you have no need for anyone to teach you. What is he saying there? He said, you don't need some special kind of Greek knowledge. You don't need some special kind of gnosis. You have all that you need and the Holy Spirit is in you to teach you. Let me read it again, verse 27. But the anointing that you have received from him, the Holy Spirit, abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything. Let me stop there. His anointing, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, teaches us about everything. Again, no extra books of Mormon. We don't need some further revelation. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead us beyond the Holy Scriptures as what is true about God. I'm not saying that God doesn't speak to us in personal, uh, wonderful, beautiful ways. That, that is true. Praise the Lord. But it must always and should always accord with this word. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He opens up the word to us. And, and what he's saying here really in verse 27 is, look, you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. Abide in him. Abide. Like, like what does this word mean? So I looked it up. It says to dwell with, to surround yourself in, abide in the Spirit. This is what he says at the end of verse 27. It's like, you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. Abide in Him. Abide in Him. What does it mean to abide in the Holy Spirit? Well, that's a good question, right? A few phrases from the New Testament come to mind where the the New Testament commends to us, walk with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep in step, one author said, with the Holy Spirit. Dwell and enjoy the Holy Spirit. Uh, I I think what, what it is, is a state of a spirit surrender. Where you are surrendering, where I am surrendering our hearts to the Lord and walking with Him in accord with His ways. He says, abide. Now, again, context. So there's this war going on for the gospel. When we're outside of the walls of the church, we walk into a war zone, right? The truth is under attack at all times. So when we leave here today, it's kind of a safe place for us to be in here. We're, we're, we're among brothers and sisters and we're, we're receiving encouragement. But when we leave here, when you go to work tomorrow morning, when you, when you go to that sports team tomorrow afternoon, when you do what you do, you will be, if you're holding to the truth, you will be under attack. What he's saying here is, as you come and abide with your brothers and sisters for comfort, strength, encouragement, so abide 24-7 with the Holy Spirit. He has given to you, what is his name? He's called the Comforter. The Holy Spirit is our Comforter. He helps us. He strengthens us in our inner being. And so he's saying, look, you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit Abide with the Holy Spirit. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit because we need His strength 
So the message of Christ is being opposed, John says first. Secondly, he says, you've been anointed by the Holy One, so abide in the Holy Spirit. Third thing that he says very clearly is, you have been granted eternal life. Look at verse 25. This is where I get it from. Verse 25. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. See, everyone that has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, he has given the promise of eternal life. God always fills and keeps every one of his promise, and we can be confident of that promise. You have been given eternal life. Now, yesterday, my son and I were able to go to Dale Kemmer's mom's funeral over in Perksey. And at this funeral, you know what there was? There were tears. There were sadnesses expressed. There were, there were all kinds of emotion. But what was predominant in this funeral was hope. Hope. Because everyone who knew her knew that she knew the Lord that she had bowed her knee to Jesus Christ and received his forgiveness in her life. She had been anointed by the Holy Spirit. She had been regenerated by him. And so, therefore, as we gathered to remember her life and to celebrate her life, yes, there were tears and sorrow because she won't be seen in a day-to-day way, but there was great joy Because she is on with her Lord, right? To be absent from the body is to be what? Say it with me. To be absent with the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. That's because he has granted to us eternal life. And so our hope is here now that we walk with him. But when we die, and we all will face that, when we die, we know We will be with the Lord because God has granted something to us. It is this eternal life. And dear friend, if you don't know, if if you would be, when your funeral day comes, if you don't know where you're headed for all eternity, I say to you, this word is for you. That God is here this morning to remind you that he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world. That he would live a perfect life and never sin but then approached the cross, that hill on Golgotha, and he took upon himself the sins of the people. And he died. And he paid the penalty for our sin. And he was resurrected to life. And he beat death at its own game. And he lives ever to extend himself to you now. That your sins can be forgiven as well. That you might walk in the freedom of sin and knowing that you have been granted eternal life your day my day comes we don't know when our day is coming do you have confidence that you have been granted eternal life god is here to minister to you this morning oh would you incline your heart to him today he has loved you with an eternal love in jesus christ You have been granted eternal life. One final thing. An implication of this granting of eternal life. So let me say it this way. What does John say to us and to this dear church to help them be reminded of his gracious promise? Here's what he says. Abide in the word. 
He uses this word abide. He's saying abide in the Holy Spirit and abide in the Word. Look at verse 24. Again, I'm, this is where I'm getting it from. Let what you heard from the beginning. Now let me pause there. Who is this church? This church. It's, it's not named here, but, but most think this is the Ephesian church. Who made up the Ephesian church? Were there some people who grew up in a Jewish heritage? Yes, there were some. But largely, these would not be people who grew up with the Old Testament law and the Jewish heritage. These would be people who were outside of the purview of, of that as in their growing up years. So these would be Gentile believers. What did they hear at the beginning of their faith? They heard the gospel. And so he's saying to them, let what you heard from the beginning, that's the code for the gospel, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And look, there's a promise here. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. So here's my translation for us this morning. We've already heard abide in the Holy Spirit. Here's what John says. You want to be confident of your salvation that's been granted to you? You want to be confident in that? Abide in the Word. Stay in the Word. Soak in the Word. Marinate in the Word. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Milton Vincent, uh, a book that uh, he's written a book that I just commend to you. Uh, it's it's a great. It's called the Gospel Primer. It's it's reflections on the gospel. I quoted from it a week or two ago. I was reading it again this week, and he says this: um, The more I experience the life transforming power of the gospel, the more confident I am in speaking it to others, both saved and lost. I know what the gospel can do in people's lives if they would believe the fullness of it because I see what it is doing in me and in others. Praise the Lord. Therefore, I have increasing boldness to speak the whole gospel to others, even amid opposition. Even though there is opposition to Christ, as you and I, as we rehearse these gospel truths over our minds, as John says it, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. He's saying, you want to grow confident in what you've already been granted, that that is salvation? Grow confident in your salvation by abiding in the Word. I, I know, dear friends, I'm not saying anything new here, but I trust we're simply saying what is true. This is what John says to a battered people who are being um, assaulted with false teaching after false teaching. He said, God has granted you something precious. It's your salvation. And in order to enjoy that salvation, abide in the Word. So let me ask you, how are you doing at abiding in the Word? Um, I, I want to I make a recommendation, actually. This might be one of the only times I ask you to do this. But um, if you have a phone, could you take it out and, and just, I'm serious, take it out. I want to encourage you toward a certain app. It's really, really good. Um, so you might not hear anything else the rest of the message, but that's okay. It's called Dwell. It's, a, it's an app called Dwell. Um, what, it, what it is, it's this beautiful uh, Bible reading plan. It is also a collection of verses for a number of different topics. Like if you're anxious, 
um, you can click the anxious button. And all it is with, you know, six different voices from the UK and around the world. You have, you have an American voice in there too, if that annoys you. But you can choose your voice and your, you know, you want a lady speaking, you want a man speaking, you want a soothing voice, you want a commanding voice. You want, uh, there's, there's a dude from Africa and he's just got this great way of speaking the truth. And so there's all these different voices you can choose. But, but let's say you're anxious in a night. And you're heading to bed and your, your, your mind is just, you know, you click on your dwell app and you click on the ang- I'm feeling anxious button. And you know what it does? It just allows the truth of the scripture to wash over you with this. You can, there's like 12 different choices for music in the background too. You can set it up as you want. But here's the thing. What it does is it just washes the word of God over you. Now, it costs money, and I'm not being, obviously, I'm not their representative. I just bought it recently uh, on recommendation from Chris Patton, and he's like, this app is amazing. I bought it, and you know what? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This app helps me to do that. This app helps me to hear the word of God. And so it's got, you know, if you're anxious, if you need to be reminded of God's promise, if you know, all these different categories, I just want to commend it to you. I mean, how many of you, I, I do want to see your hands raised. How many of you ride in the car to go to work? Okay, a lot of you ride in your car to go to work. Here's a new way to fill your time. Just put this app on and let it, let it soothe you, let it comfort you, let it encourage you. It's one practical way of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. See, what does the truth as it washes over our soul, what does it do? Why? Why is this so important to let this word dwell in us? Well, you know, the truth sets us free. We sang about it this morning, right? The truth sets us free. The truth does, doesn't kind of, you know, kind of crack the prison door and say, yeah, maybe you can get out. No, it blasts the prison door open and the truth sets you free from things like what? Well, things like fear and anxiety and guilt and shame and hopelessness. Have you ever been hopeless? The truth blasts the door off hopelessness and grief and being held in a prison of unforgiveness. This is what the word, when it dwells richly in you, it does And as you dwell with the word, do you know what John says? You're abiding with God. The truth is in you and he is with you. So here's what I want to encourage you. Um, Just may the Lord help us to press into these promises as he has made them. And so here's, here's, I want to recap here. The message of Christ in this day and in this day is being opposed There are antichrists that are rising up from all around opposing the truth. And here's the promise that John says to the church. You know the truth. Stand in that truth. Be confident in that truth. Because there is opposition everywhere you look. The the second thing he says is you have been anointed by the Holy One of God. The Holy Spirit. So... We can abide in that spirit. We can dwell with him in that place. He teaches us and he leads us to God. He shines the spotlight on Jesus. Jesus becomes more precious to us when we walk with the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know what? 
I want Jesus to become more precious to me this week as I walk with the Lord. I want that. Do you want that this morning? Do you want Jesus to become more precious to you this week? Well, Jesus wants to become more precious to you if we will abide with the Holy One that's in us. And then he says, you have been granted eternal life. Therefore, abide in the Word that reminds you of that precious and dear truth. And maybe uh, buying that app dwell might help you this week to simply abide in that place. I want to call the worship team out to join me on the stage now. We're going to close with a song that might be familiar to us, but I pray that as we sing it, it would become fresh to us. Because it's a song that declares something not about us, but about the one to whom we look. It says, when the tempter may prevail when we come and we might be tempted with all kinds of untruths in the world when the tempter may prevail he will hold you fast when we're tempted to look around like peter who saw the wind and the waves and and got sucked in and he he started sinking who was it that held him fast it was christ he called it peter Put your eyes right here. And I pray together as we sing the truth of this song that we will be strengthened in our inner being to hold fast to this truth that Christ has held us fast. Would you stand with me as we pray and as we sing? Lord, we've just heard precious and dear truths that you've said about every Christian. That we have been anointed with your Holy Spirit That we have the truth of God within our hearts because of that Holy Spirit. And that we have been granted eternal life. Lord, if nothing gets us excited, that should. Because you have done what we could never do. So, Lord, use these truths in our hearts to cause us to look to Jesus this morning. To hold fast to him this morning. Lord, I pray for anyone this morning who may be just feeling their weakness. May the truth of these things remind them, remind me, that when I am weak, then you, Lord, are strong. Lord, thank you that you hold us fast. We cling to you this morning. We hold on you this morning. We get our strength from you this morning. You have anointed us with your Holy Spirit. You have granted to us salvation. And now we say thank you, Lord, for holding us fast.